This is Magnus Carlsen, and you're listening to the Full English Breakfast with Lawrence Trent and Stephen Gardner. And we're back after a very long uh, hiatus. This is episode four of the Full English Breakfast. Why episode four, you might ask, and not episode three? Although we did record an episode three almost exactly one year ago, it never saw the light of day. But we are going to hear a couple of clips from that show. And meanwhile, I'm pleased to welcome International Master Lawrence Trent. It's great to be back. It's It's been a long time, and uh, I'm hoping this, this really kicks off. I'm quite excited about it. With Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. Now, Stephen, believe it or not, you were not a uh, Grandmaster the last time we had a show. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Made the boy. Finally got the GM. Well, we're going to put some some bonus clips up from the uh, Phantom Episode 3. You can visit the Full English Breakfast at thefeb.com. So that's new. And hope we'll be able to uh, keep it going this time around and make a, a regular gig out of it. You up for that, Trent? Yeah, I don't see Kasparov having a podcast and thousands <laughs> of fans. That's <laughs> don't get out of yourself, mate. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, no, it's great to be back. Got a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, congratulations to Stephen for finally making it. I have oh. gone the other way, guys. Unfortunately, I'm no longer professional in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I've got myself a real job, in inverted commas, and uh, I'm still keeping in touch with the chess scene. Uh, I've done a few DVDs, so all of you guys who are interested in really improving, uh, check out my DVDs from chessbase.com. Uh, one on the two knights defense uh, and one on the Smith Mora and also one that was just released the other day. Uh, it was a sort of collaboration with some other grandmasters looking at essentially the basics of every opening or all of the standard openings, uh, open games, D4 openings, all of this stuff. It's called chess based tutorials. Please take a look at it because a lot of very good grandmasters are on that and it wow. can really help you to improve in, in a very basic and uh, concise way. Wow. A, a concise way. What a plug. Now, what was and that I mean, about? Concise. <laughs> Have you just been reading from a script there or what? No, nice to be back though. And thank you, Macaulay, for setting this all up. I'm hoping we get to do this a bit more frequently this time. And Stephen, what have you been up to in the past year? Well, I mean, I've been playing a little bit of chess here and there and I do some coaching as well. But um, recently I've been trying to sort out going back to uni to finish off my uh, undergraduate degree. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm based in Birmingham now, doing my final year. I do maths and business at Birmingham Uni. I'll be playing a little bit of chess here and there. I still play the British League, and I play in the Bundesliga as well. All right, well, it's been a very busy uh, 2010, so let's dive into uh, some of the recent highlights. Of course, this is an Olympiad year. Neither of you guys made it out to Hantimansis, correct? Well, That's right. That was the plan, yeah. I mean, does anybody in their right mind actually want to go there? Well, apparently it wasn't as bad. The organization wasn't as bad as people feared, you know. They, they were changing flights about towards the end, and there was some rumors about hotels hadn't been finished and stuff like that. But certainly from the British team, the feedback I got was that everything worked out okay. Well, fair enough. Well, since this is the full English breakfast, uh, how did the British team uh, do out there? Well, well, they did all right. It was pretty clear that one or two of them, and I'm sure they'll agree with us, that they weren't in, uh, they weren't in the best of form. But you know, they battled through. And uh, Gawain Jones on board, had a, he had a really good tournament, and you know, he was uh, just every time, every time he stepped in, he stepped up and. 
kept coming away with wins, and he wasn't far off getting a board prize, I don't think, for the for the fifth board. And obviously, uh, Mickey got a, a big scalp taking down Magnus. So there's one or two, one or two individual performances that you know went really well. So yeah, as a, as a team, they'll be disappointed with one or two results, but it wasn't so such a bad finish in the end. Meanwhile, at the top of the leaderboard, we had Ukraine uh, finally making good on their enormous talent, even without uh, Sergei Karyakin who were defected to Russia. Well, what do you reckon he think? Is, it, is he going to regret that decision to move over? Because that Ukrainian team now, they won't be far off being the number one seeds next time if uh, the players continue to form. Like Elyanov, he's... What's he got now? 27-60 rating on both three. It's, it's pretty impressive. Unreal, isn't it? Actually? It's just awesome. I wasn't hugely surprised that Ukraine won it. You look at their team and you just think, you've got Ivanchuk, who's arguably the most experienced player in the whole Olympiad, who's maintained a 2,700 rating for the past, what, 20 years. Then you've got Ponomaryov, who's won the World Championship, obviously an extremely strong player, who is probably sitting around the 2,750 mark, so not too shabby himself. And then you've got Elianov, who I don't really know how this has happened, to be totally honest. His rise has been meteoric, and a few years ago, he was a 26... 50-odd GM, wasn't he? And yeah, he didn't, didn't really stand out from the crowd around that rate. didn't stand out, and now he's just put 100 points on his rating. And you often question, because sometimes you think, well, is he going to really stay up there? Has it been one of these really successful years? But he's proved it, that he is actually worth that rating. So they've got three people there. That That is up there, isn't it? I think they played Efimenko, didn't they, on, yeah. on board four. Oh, oh, the big question is, did they really miss Karyakin? Obviously, they didn't, did they? Maybe it was one of those situations where having a, a potential superstar and you know his comparison with Magnus is, is sometimes putting a bit more pressure on him and disrupting the team. I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, it'd still be a... a- a bonus to have him in there. I mean, he had a good, he had a really good Olympiad himself, didn't he? But uh, yeah, of course. yeah, I mean, I mean, look at their team, though. Like you say, it's just uh, you know, you can't, you can't really get much better than that. I mean, Kayakin, where would they put him in that team? Would he be bored for? Well, I mean, were- what, what a ridiculous team they'd have. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Well, Ilyanov will have a chance to prove himself once again, and also have a shot at Sergey Karyakin uh, in the upcoming Tal Memorial next month. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, on the women's side, Russia finally made good on their uh, rating favorite status. They won with a round to spare, is that right? I think they won all of their just, games as well, didn't just, they? They won every uh, single match. Yeah. Just ran away with it. The, the Kosin Saver sisters, who are, who are doing very well. Obviously, Alexandra Kostenyuk um, is pretty handy. Uh, so it, it wasn't really a surprise, was it, that they came in uh, first. Unfortunately, with the women's side once you go beyond china georgia uh, the us and maybe a uh, ukraine there is no other competition it's not like the men's side where realistically speaking in that olympiad ukraine one of the many russian teams israel hungary china armenia uh, all of these people azerbaijan have got a, a genuine shot at, at winning it whereas in the women's section, realistically, there's only four teams I would I would presume that could potentially win it. But they were solid. They won every game. Nothing more to say really than that. 
Well, you mentioned Azerbaijan. Of course, one of the big uh, stories for this year's Olympiad was the absence of Vugar Gashimov from the Azerbaijani team, which clearly uh, made them uh, suffer uh, being a, a much weaker team than they otherwise would have been. Uh, did you follow that story at all? Read the accounts? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been quite interested in it. I've read Has he uh, fallen out with his federation? Is that, is that the issue? Yeah, there's basically been a big fallout uh, with him and the federation about him and where his loyalties have been and all of these things. And uh, it seems like it's been a real shame for this to really cloud what could have been a very prosperous Olympiad for Azerbaijan because they're a real team. Similar got, to Ukraine, you know, if you've got Gashimov on board three. Well, just, it would be Mamajarov, Gashimov and Rajabov as the top three boys, wouldn't it? And then you'd have somebody like Ralph Mamadov in there on board four. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's an ace team. That's all youth, but you know they're experienced. The, uh, <laughs> you know, they're not like, you know, they're yeah. not 13 years old. They're, they've all I'll been say, there. you know, young guys who've been at the top for a while, haven't they? So for Absolutely ages. So it's a real shame. And I, I can't stand it when uh, these sorts of things get in the way of, of the best players playing in the world. Um, I mean, it's a shame with some, some of these countries where... Um, you know, the players aren't happy with the funding. Like, I found out the other week at the the Bundesliga that Romania weren't even able to send a team because they had some problems with, um, you know, the players in the federation, disagreements there, and they, they just didn't end up sending a team. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a team who could, you know, they could break into the top ten if they want, you know, if they had a good run of it. It's a shame for some of these countries where there's, there's yeah. problems with the players and the federations. I mean, it's difficult, really. I'm just glad that England, you know, don't have that problem at the moment. We managed to send our top five, um, and that's the way it should be. I, I don't know. There's always two sides to these stories, and uh, especially with uh, something so sensitive like this. Oh, mm. I don't really know. It's a very murky subject i just hope it all gets resolved so that he's able to play next time well speaking of a murky subject yeah uh the fide elections of course a big one <laughs> what was your, well, your take yeah, there exactly what uh, is going on with the voting I, I, I was trying to keep up with it and i was quite excited about it because we saw this long campaign trail karpov and kasparov going to all of these countries visiting you know balloting and uh, you know really trying to get all these votes and from from what i remember i think karpov got some of the most important nations in europe and the yeah, world I mean, the big federations were voting for him weren't they that's, that's you know, right the, uh, western europe they're all they're all going for him but yeah you know uh, can can you just look in western europe because all right there's some big federations but the vote is one country one vote and if you're looking for a lot of votes then maybe europe isn't the place to look I mean, this voting system is unbelievable, isn't it? How can how can a vote of a, you know, such a small nation have the same, you know, weighting as a vote from, say, Germany, who have a massive federation, loads of players? It's an interesting point, isn't it? it I mean, it, that, how how do you go about that? Then you then you're looking at different ways to do it. Uh, no, I, mean, I, I don't think things. Are, I don't think anyone's going to have a chance while uh, it's the way it is. Because I mean, what? What was the difference in voting? I think he won. Um, was it? Votes, like was it ninety-five fifty-five this time? Something like that, yeah. And and it was ninety-six fifty-four last time. So I mean, it looked like Karpov had put in a really good uh, a good try for this, and yeah. he's got one extra vote from the last time. You know, 
Yeah, I don't think there's any way we're going to see something different in the next... Well, I know he's there, what, is it for four years minimum? Okay. Yeah, I mean, realistically speaking, now that he's not the governor of Kalmykia, the, 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 the region, he can put a lot more effort into the chess stuff. Um, whether the benefits are seen is another question, but I, I really can't see any change whatsoever for a long, long time, way past four years, because he's got all of the minor countries uh, locked up. The other interesting argument about uh, or, or, or discussion that you have to have about all of this is, despite the fact that it was a complete shambles, and you, you probably saw the video, Steve. You probably <laughs> saw, saw the video of Kasparov yeah. shouting. In the, it was like... Um, <laughs> yeah, he got shot I, down. Never, yeah, it's... Shot down big time by some guy. You know, it, it was just <laughs> crazy. And, you know, despite all of that... The biggest question is actually whether Karpov would have made a difference. Um, and there is evidence to suggest he would, but who for? I think Karpov would want to improve the conditions for professional players. But unfortunately, and this is an extremely valid point, professional players only make up a very small percentage of the entire chess playing world. Um, so how... How would he go about distributing the, the time and the effort to uh, really appease both the professionals and the amateurs, who are equally as important? It's a very complex argument. We won't know now. There's no way to know. I guess we'll never know whether Karpov would have made a difference. But sticking to the politics for a, for a second, uh, one question I had was, on balance, did Kasparov's presence help Karpov or hurt Karpov? Steven? It's, it's too tough a question. I think I might. I think I might let Trinity take over at this point. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think we should dwell too much on it because the truth is, yes, it's good for exposure. Yes, it, you know, he's it's, obviously excellent for um, publicity. Ex world champion, sure. working mm-hmm. together, former foes now working in partnership to defeat Kirsten's curse or whatever you want to call it. Um, but <laughs> Did you make that up? Well, no, I just, yeah, I did. Yeah, that was, is that all right? Are we f- impressive off the cuff. Right? You like that? Yeah. All right, okay. Fine. Um, but the problem is, of course, that we all know Kasparov has, has many foes as well, many enemies. You know, it's a tough one to say. I, I don't think it, it, it could have helped too much, to be totally honest. I don't think it, it was as crucial as um, some people previously might have made out and also uh you know Karpov suing Kirsten like this being aggressive it, it's almost unkarpov like isn't it i mean was kasparov pushing karpov uh into making these really bold uh, decisions i think the whole campaign was doomed from from day one. All right. Well, we can't leave the Olympiad without at least uh, mentioning the B tournament. The B tournament is in the, the extracurricular tournament. Yeah. So, uh, is this what it's called? Has it actually got a name? The B tournament. Yeah. So the uh, the B tournament is the the euphemism for uh, for any kind of uh, social relations that uh, chess players are not necessarily known for excelling at. <laughs> it's impressive. Well, you know. Uh, I've, I've been. I said to Stephen before. I, I've tried speaking to David Howe, who's a good friend of Stephen and ours, and even Nigel Short 
and various other English players and players we know who were at the event about any potential shenanigans that may have happened, be it throughout the tournament on the infamous Bermuda night where all the teams come together for a big party uh, and and try their very best to look silly, uh, especially some of the dancing that I saw. Horrific. Wow. Um, no, I've, I've been disclosed nothing. I'm I'm really disappointed that I don't know any juicy gossip, but I really don't. Um, I think you know David. Who uh, am I right in thinking Macaulay was uh, voted best dressed player by GM David Smerdon from Australia? Yes, that that's correct. He's getting that from from the ladies. Or so he says. Right. Oh, well, wow. now, now the B term, of course, getting much more interesting since they expanded the size of the women's teams. You mean you expanded the number of women playing, <laughs> not the actual size of of the team itself? Because then, then, then it gets less interesting. I'm all for a bit of meat, <laughs> but you know. Remember, guys, everybody who's listening, huge London tournament happening uh, in a couple of months, the London Chess Classic, where it's, I think, the best tournament to uh, this year uh, to have ever been held in, in England, uh, where we will have uh, the world number one, who is Vichy, or was Magnus when he um, enrolled. And then we've got Magnus and Kramnik all in the same tournament. Uh, so similar sort of strength to Bilbao, but in London. And uh, I've, I'm going to have the um, the honour again to do some commentary work there. Uh, perhaps interview Magnus and the other fantastic players at the event. And I will try and squeeze every bit of gossip out of him uh, possible. So uh, we <laughs> we'll see. No, but I, I, you know, he's living the dream at the moment, isn't he? This is the thing. He's doing photo shoots with Liv Tyler. You know, he's earning God knows how much a year. He's 19 years old. Women flinging themselves at him. All for moving bits of wood around the board. I don't really get it, you know? Um, no, I'm joking. I'd, good luck to him, you know? Good luck to him. Speaking of Magnus, uh, this was uh, Lawrence Trent uh, just a year ago. Uh, right after the uh, the Nanjing tournament, and uh, here's what he had to say at the time for a little flashback, a little trip down memory lane. I'm totally in awe of the guy um, <laughs> for two main reasons. Firstly, he's actually got a higher rating in, in real life than I have on ICC, which is quite really saying <laughs> something. Uh, secondly, because obviously... Uh, you know, to, to put in a performance like that in China, to perform o- over 3,000 against against the the opposition that was there in, in China is, is spectacular. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in him as much as I thought he was going to get 9. Uh, so, obviously, he'll have to settle for 8 out of 10. But, um, no, I think, I think obviously, he's, he's the biggest thing to hit chess um, since Kasparov, essentially, even including... Your ex world champions Kramnik Topolov, that Kramnik Topolov and the such did not reach the standard that Magnus is at now when they were Magnus's age. So that was Lawrence Trent one year ago. Now, Stephen, this uh, also prompted you to bring up one other interesting point, which is that once he's gotten to number one, once he's winning all these tournaments, uh, it makes it uh, much more likely for other players to try to beat up on the guy. It's not just a Magnus show anymore, and like they proved it there. Eh? You know, Kramnik. You know, these guys are 
they obviously uh, feel as though they can still match him, still play. Kramnik running away with it, and uh, here is what he had to say uh, on the subject of his ego uh, after the last round uh, and just before the closing ceremony. No, but you know my ego. I, I don't have any problem with my ego. I mean, okay, they are great players, and uh, they are a bit higher than me on rating, and I still have to prove that I can be better than them. I mean, for the moment, it's not proof yet. One tournament is not enough, but, uh, well, you know, uh, first of all, I'm not so young to care so much about uh, my ego. And secondly, uh, sorry if I would sound unmodest, but I already achieved quite a lot in chess. So, I mean, and uh, it's always, it's normal that somebody can be better than you, higher rated, or somebody can be world champion. You cannot be forever. So, I don't mind at all. And I, I mean, I'm just... Uh, as of around, I mean, I'm very happy actually to play with uh, with such players in the one tournament. I'm very happy that uh, I can still compete with players of such caliber like Anand and Carlson, and I'm just happy about it, you know. But of course, I have I'm I'm an ambitious person. I still have ambitions to be the best chess player uh, one day, which I cannot claim now, of course. But uh, well, I'm not too far at least from it, so. I will try to do my best, but if I don't manage, well, you know, what I was already, at least this is a good consolation, I've been already, so, but uh, of course I'm seriously trying to, to manage it. Yeah, well, it's, he's in a good position, isn't he? Because uh, he's, got, he's, he's got the world champion there, and he's got Magnus there. You know, he's not, he's not really the standout guy in that tournament, so the pressure's off immediately, and there's challenges there for him. I mean, it's good that he's, uh, what is he in the list, something like fourth or fifth? You know, he's, he's still got some challenges and there, there must be a lot of motivation to show that he can uh, not only compete with these guys, but win tournaments that they're in. I think more real top-class tournaments should follow the level of presentation, the effort they put in to make it as interactive as possible. You saw a lot of people looking at the screens uh, all around and at the press conferences. It just seemed a lot more user-friendly, I think, than perhaps other um, huge uh, super tournaments. So I think it's up there now, isn't it, with being the best. Every every year it looks like it's getting better as well. So, yeah, it's a well-known thing now, isn't it? You know, you could say it in the same sentence as Linares or Vic Hanze. It's one of the big tournaments now, Bilbao. It, it is, it is. And especially with people like Magnus now, who's become more than a chess player. He's now an icon to the average person, really. It's, it's strange because you can now ask a, a person on the street who Magnus Carlsen is. And a lot of people won't know, but a lot of people will say, oh, that, that name rings a bell. Where, where do I know that? Oh, yeah, I walk past him every day to work. So he's now becoming a bit more influential in everyday life. So it's, it's important that we, we have these tournaments um, that, that are improving and... Um, I, I, th- I think it sets a really good standard. Very, very impressive tournament indeed. All right. Well, before we go, the slightly wacky story that uh, popped up on my radar this past week was uh, a fellow from the UK named Will Taylor, uh, who's only 1900, but apparently uh, at the tender age of 20, still has aspirations to be a grandmaster and was willing to put 200 pounds on it. It's obviously got a lot of money. In a bet, a formal bet with a bookkeeper. I would have given him odds for that. He could have given me the 200 pound. <laughs> I don't know the guy. 
uh, I'll be honest, he's he's probably a, a very nice guy indeed. I, I I've never heard of him. He should have this next to his title. He shouldn't be GM. He should be FGM, Fritz Grandmaster, because the only way he's ever getting there is either implanting a chip or just memorizing every single variation on Earth. Mate, uh, you should have thought this through. You should have given better advice here. The way he's going to get to GM is to buy your DVDs. Of course. Surely. I'd be probably it wouldn't surprise me he's got a lot better chance if he does so if you're listening to this <laughs> please do no but on a serious note does it devalue the title because you know you buy 20 realistically you know whether you can become a grandmaster or not I think there are very few exceptions when people really at that age with such a low rating remember we're not talking about a guy Steve who's 2400 we're talking about who's 1900 yeah, yeah. got aspirations to be a gem i had aspirations to be a gm for many years you talk about it like it's not possible anymore you know it's you you're a quality player i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into this too much well like, no yeah. that's not well, okay that's besides <laughs> what i mean what I do you like? think steve because i mean the, the guy's 1900 there's no time limit which is no obviously limit. on his side i can give some from from my own experience i'd say that i'm 24 now and I don't feel as if I've improved 50 rating points since I was 19. You know, in the, in the context of how much I've improved, I found it very difficult to improve, especially alongside studying and you, you get into that age where it's, it's more difficult to take things in. So I'm not saying it's not doable, but it'll be a massive achievement if the guy can do it. If he's willing to put eight hours a day in for... <sighs> How long is that going to take? I mean, even five or six years, are you going to make it to 2,500 doing that? It's tough to say, really. Well, this was according to the story that I saw in, in Gambit, the New York Times chess blog called Betting on Becoming a Grandmaster, and his bookmaker giving him uh, 25 to 1 odds, which doesn't actually sound that bad. Do you think uh, the, the odds would actually be much higher if you were making the best? I'm surprised that the odds are so low. You know, I would have thought they'd be willing to say 50 to 1, maybe even more. Well, Maybe more than that. They gave me 50 to 1, Steve. That's the problem. They gave this guy 25. <laughs> they, they had one look at me and thought, You know nah. you've got problems if they're giving you 50 to 1, so, mate. Exactly. I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I'm going to put it out there. I don't think he'll do it. Um, simply because it's not a scientific process becoming you can't just do eight hours a day plus six books a year plus the new mega day you know there's no formula to it um you either got you either got it or you ain't and grandmaster is a different level altogether i'm pretty sure he can become an i am uh, i don't think that's so unachievable nowadays but still a grandmaster is uh, to do that whilst studying, as he said, he's going to carry on studying, whilst he's got his other passions. It, you, you've got to dedicate yourself to it. There's just no two ways about it. Sure. Um, so uh, I'll be very surprised if he does it. Good luck to the guy. If he does it, fantastic. And then then, then basically, if I never become a GM, I'm, I'm throwing myself off Chelsea Bridge. But, you know, <laughs> I, if you're 20 years old, you basically, and you're 1,900, you should know by then whether you're a half-decent chess player or not. Well, I mean, I, I, have no, I, I had no set study plan whatsoever when I was in, uh, well, mid to late teens. I was just playing a lot. I'd, I'd look at my games a bit, pick up things here and there. I mean, this, this guy sounds like he's, got, he's going to have some regimented routine. 
how does it work like that? It's very chess is such a difficult thing to um, you know broaden your understanding just off uh, just off studying. You've got to play a lot. It's it's a very dynamic thing to um, improving. Very dynamic issue. Well, can I, can I mention someone as well? Um, there's an English player called Jonathan Harkins who mm. is on his road to being a grandmaster. He's a very strong player, and I played him. Uh, I think I played him first. It was in 2007, and he was a 2200 rating. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'm not exactly sure of what his rating is now. It, it, I'd, I'd expect it, it's around 2450, some something like that. But he his improvement started in his 20s. So it's not unheard of of some players making these big moves in the no, 20s. you're right. I, I'm all for him becoming a grandmaster, and if he's willing, he can come round here, do a few sessions with me, all at a very competitive rate as well. So, you know, get <laughs> in touch. If, yeah, if he's listening, you know. Yeah, I do if, a little if, bit of coaching myself. That's get right. In get in touch. <laughs> well, let's see if we can both make this dream come true uh, <laughs> you know, together. Uh, wow. But, you, you know, uh, I've got my doubts. and my, my instinct says no, um, especially if he says he's... It'd be different if he locked himself up with Karpov in a, a camp in Siberia for the next 10 years and just ate chess, fine. Uh, but when you've got your studies and everything else, uh, it's going to be difficult. That about does it for this edition of the Full English Breakfast for October 2010. Uh, you can follow us online by subscribing to the podcast or else visit thefeb.com. Thanks, uh, Lawrence and Stephen, and hope we can do this again sooner than uh, a year and a half. Well, I'm, I'm hoping so. He's pre- he'll probably be a GM by then, won't he? Well, he'll, he'll be doing the show, <laughs> yeah. Steve. You're going to kick me off. He'll be doing it. If he makes it to GM and you had to choose one of us to leave, Macaulay, who would you be choosing? Yeah, Which one of us loses the job? I'll, I'll have to save my answer for episode five. Of Just remember who your real friends are, Macaulay. Just remember. Okay. <laughs>